My name's Ed Clark, co-founder and managing director of Yoji, and welcome to the Inside Yoji podcast. Okay, Vivek, thanks for dropping by this afternoon to have a chat about Yoji's technology. And first of all, maybe introducing yourself as the CTO of Yoji. How, how long have you been at Yoji for? Uh, it's been about two years for me in Yoji. Uh, I started as a lead engineer uh, building out the core platform and then I took over the CTO. Okay, and so I remember when you started, you, you came in to start to work really hard on, on the platform we had at the time. And um, I remember one day you came into the office when, when you took over a CTO and you said to me, uh, Ed, I think, you, I think we should rebuild the platform in Elixir. And obviously as a CEO with monthly quarterly reporting activities and, and the types of things that we have as a, a public company that was quite a, a terrifying prospect to rebuild a technology stack um, although it is very usual for technology companies to bring out a second version of the product but I guess for me what was interesting is that you're proposing a much more radical rebuild than probably the traditional model which was to move into a different type of technology. So maybe first of all, if you could explain a little bit about um, what, the type of technology you're proposing and why you proposed it. So uh, from what I saw in the initial stack we had, it was a very narrow use case. It started out pretty small. But at the, if you look at the customers we had at the point in time, we were talking about really, really complex use cases. We were talking about some of the bigger guys like UPS and DB Shankar. We were talking about real-time optimization, talking about end-to-end traceability, multi-level SKU visibility, and stuff like that. So what we had was a good was a good platform, but it was not able to scale to all these business needs. So kind of like an, an MVP platform that we had put together, which is essentially where every startup begins. Of course. And it starts on a more web-based technology because it's fairly easy to code and you can build a, 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 a minimum viable product very That's quickly. Right. So most of the startups start this way. You basically pick a use case, build and iterate on it very, very quickly. But sometimes there comes a point where this is not scalable anymore. You have to take a step back, rethink your approach, rethink your architecture. And that's what we did. So we needed to rebuild the platform and we needed to scale for all the needs and we needed to be very, very fast in terms of APIs and business needs. So, I mean, th- there's two ways to look at it. You can rebuild your platform or, or we see a lot of startups, they try and customize on the existing product and they end up having 10, 15, 20 versions of the same product and it's very expensive to manage, which is why you get big technology teams. Is that a fair way for the layman like myself to, to put it? Yes, definitely. So uh, if, if you put it in this way, you need a very strong foundation for, for the building to stand. Uh, to give a very different kind of example, if you want to go somewhere, you can take a bus or you can start walking immediately. So sometimes if you wait for the right foundation and build on it, you can go to much, much, I mean, in a much faster way, basically. And I think that's been retrospectively the key to what we've done over the last 12 months since we've begun commercializing the product is that most um, young technology companies you'll see the tech team grows quite rapidly as customers come in but we've almost been the opposite since uh, this time last year where we're now probably 20% smaller as a technology team than we were before and that's because of these concepts like um, microservices, APIs things that investors and the logistics people don't necessarily think about but the way that you've 
put the platform together creates a lot of opportunity. So maybe first of all, we can give a bit of a glossary. So for people listening, what is an API? API is just a way, so it's just a way to communicate with something, right? It's an application programming interface. That means you just have a way to talk to the server. That's what an API means. So it's a way to send and receive messages. That's right. Okay, and then what is a microservice? So if you have a very big use case to solve, you can think about solving it and uh, subdividing the problem into very small problems, and each problem itself becomes a microservice. So then you can scale and build and deploy each of the problems separately. So it's a fundamental architecture. It's a fundamental way of thinking how to solve a bigger problem. So have you got some examples of other platforms that use the the microservice model? All the recent modern uh, tech companies usually adopt this, uh, this approach. For example, Spotify. If you see different widgets on Spotify, each of the widgets is probably coming from a different team. Uh, they're being built and scaled and deployed separately, and they're incredibly fast because of that reason. So you might, you're saying that the, the team that's managing the playlist section of the Spotify product might, even, might not even know the team that is managing the sign-up section. That is section. exactly right. Yeah. Okay, so every different experience is owned by a different team, and, and in that way you, can, you, have, you break down the problem, you're much more, much more agile in different sections of the product because that's how you you manage the platform. That is right. Also, it gives visibility and ownership to the respective teams. They believe that there's a product, they'll actually get invested into it, and they will do a much better job at building the product. Very interesting. And then we went down this path of being very API capable and using a microservice model, but then you have to pick a technology to build it on. And so we've told the market a lot about Elixir and an Erlang, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything to anyone. Maybe you could tell, tell me a little bit about what is Elixir technology and, and how should we think about it from a, a layman's perspective? Yeah, so there are many languages available in the market today. Uh, so some of the recent languages are easy to program in, but then they don't have the capability of enterprise languages like Java and Scala, which, which, which are a lot more difficult to put, to put together a stack. Elixir kind of is the best of the both worlds. You have an easy way to implement the platform, but also the robust capability of all the enterprise-grade architecture. And so one, one thing I noticed uh, once we transitioned that when I walked in to see developers, the, the screens that they were coding on looked a lot more simple. They looked like there was a lot less code on the screen and luckily there was a lot less opportunities for error during the coding process. Is that something that's a feature of the language? Yes, definitely. So, uh, without getting too technical, uh, Elixir is a functional language. So, by definition, you make lesser mistakes. It's easier to interpret. There's lesser dependencies. So, it's a much efficient way of writing code. And how long has it been around this Elixir technology? Elixir is fairly new. It has been around for for less than a decade, to be honest. But Elixir is built on a very powerful language called Erlang. That has been around since 1980s. So if you look at Erlang, some of the old telephone systems were built on Erlang, and they never go down. It's a very, very robust language. Elixir is just an interface into Erlang. And in Singapore, it's very difficult to find engineers of any time and any type. And I don't think that when we started building on Elixir, there was actually that many Elixir coders in Singapore. But somehow, we managed to get through the problem of the number of people that we could attract to the business, but also 
um, break through the competition? Was there a reason that we actually had a lot of interest in working with us once we moved to Elixir? Could you share from a developer's perspective what makes it exciting to want to go and work with Elixir and work with Elixir with Yoji? So what developers like is a very good technology, very good way of interpreting their work and iterating through it. So all the really good developers, they believe uh, in really, really powerful languages. And even though it's a small base of developers, all the good and uh, very competent developers wanted to work with us. And it became an easy problem for us because all the good developers actually wanted to work with us instead of the other way around. So uh, getting back to the technology itself, um, Elixir is that a cloud-based technology? Can it be cloud-based? And in terms of scalability and its ability to handle hundreds or thousands of customers at once, can you talk us a bit through how it can do that and how it can do that well? Uh, Elixir is a programming language. It, it can be easily cloud-based. We can deploy Elixir anywhere. Uh, for example, it is deployed in the traditional phone systems. We use that for driving APIs through our cloud platform. Uh, so to get back to the key advantages of Elixir, it's very reliable. Like I said, phone systems never go down. It's very fast. Compared to some of the new languages, it can do a, a magnitude times better in terms of uh, scaling, scaling, the scaling the request. The third thing would be it is very flexible. So the way you write code could be very, very easy compared to the other languages as well. So easier to code, cheaper to run, faster to deploy. That's right. Any other major benefits of the code? Uh, it's fault tolerant. So it, it, the number of mistakes you make and the number of times the server goes down can be reduced by magnitude. Fantastic. Um, and in terms of what you're enjoying about building a logistics product, could you share a bit about that, what, what you like about the logistics market and applying technology to it? Uh, logistics market is very, very interesting because it, it, it's an age-old industry. There's a lot of data in it. You're talking about a container going to pallet, to a parcel, uh, coming from an e-commerce store, all the way traveling between multiple hubs. So there's a lot of connected data. There's a lot of efficiency that needs to be gained across different verticals. So if you put it all together, we are t tackling a very, very complex problem. But when it, when it boils down to fundamentals, we are only solving a few very, very interesting problems. And uh, Elixir is a very good fit to solve these problems, and we enjoy it every day. And what do you think has been the challenges, the traditional challenges of these multiple hub subcontractor environments from a technology perspective that people haven't broken through with this before? Where, where does it become difficult? Uh, people haven't, haven't thought of this problem in a, in a, in a, in a good architected data structure way. So when Traditional logistics systems built this. They always tackled one hub and one carrier. They always are talking about one level of dependency. But sometimes this is a connected industry. You're going down N levels. And once you br bring that down to fundamentals, it's a very interesting problem. And is that a constraint of ability to deploy good user experiences in old, on old platforms? Or is it a, a, a computer science uh, constraint or why do you think that people 10 years ago or 20 years ago haven't been able to deploy these types of solutions? Because they're all working in uh, disparate uh, and different environments. They're always trying to target one customer or two customers at max. They're always targeting a specific vertical. So to actually connect all of these was probably not possible in, in, in 10 years ago. 
nowadays with all the architecture, with all the infrastructure in place, this is a problem we can solve. And what I found interesting getting to that point is that often when we come with customer requirements or network requirements, we, we come and ask the, the tech and product team and often the answer is, yes, we are ready for that use case, but we haven't deployed it and we've prepared the platform to do these types of multi-level data things. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about that uh, in, a, in a general form. That's right. So. At a, at a base level, the way the platform is built, it's a multi-tenant graph kind of a structure. So everything is connected. Every company can work with each other. So let's stop there for a second because <laughs> even even for myself, I had to research that. So multi-tenant means? Uh, on the same system, you could actually onboard multiple companies. So it's a multi-tenant architecture. And then on a graphing concept, what is graphing technology, graphing databases, I assume we're talking about here? Yeah, so... A graph is nothing but a bunch of nodes connected to each other. So if we, if we take every company as a node, we can represent the entire ecosystem in a, in, a, in a graph. Every company connected to each other and jobs getting transferred between each of them. So it's establishing networks and relationships between entities, companies, That's right. carriers in a meaningful way so that you can move information correctly and make sure that the right people get the right information at the right time. Yeah, you do a much better job at explaining that. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a lot of research. And so an example of this is Facebook, right, where I can establish who are my friends and who are not my friends. Exactly. And I can communicate either with all, many or one. And you, the graphing technology enables you to dictate how you communicate with the rest of that social network. In this case, essentially, I guess what we're, what we're saying is that we've built a social network context platform that enables you to uh, pursue logistics. That's right. So Facebook calls it the social graph. Every behavior and how users are connected, the network behavior, they represent it using graph technology. And we, the, our fundamental data structure also is very similar in a way we can connect logistics companies and senders and dispatchers and workers. And so in, in Facebook, you've got really the person and the person's information, but in, in logistics, you've got not just relationships, but there's so much information within things moving through the network. And that's another difficult thing to... to, to there's lots of different ownership rules that change throughout the, right. the supply chain. So how do you... How do, how do you make technology that handles all of the different relationships both across a network and within a movement? Uh, if you break that problem down, you're always talking about someone placing an order, which is moving multiple goods from a point to another point. So it doesn't matter how many times it gets exchanged, the fundamental concept remains the same. So if you, if you, if you get, get down to that detail, it might happen 10 or 20 different times, but you're always moving the same kind of information in the network. And so this is really important with some of the things we're doing in, in cross-border and in consolidation and deconsolidation. I mean, the, the industry forever has been saying, how do we get the truck more full and how do we know what's in the truck? Essentially, they're the two problems that the industry is trying to figure out. And a lot of people look at brokerage and trying to sell freight and empty space. But the, the thing is, to know what is in your truck so you know what is, what is the empty space and that's all about understanding at an item level what's inside your vehicle which has been very difficult from a data perspective from traditional systems. So that's the first problem is that we're helping people understand 
what is inside the vehicle or what are, what are the multiple items that are being consult, put together and then put on the truck, which is called consolidation. But then also understanding the space that you have in the truck and the relationship that truck has to the network and where it's going. So it seems very simple to say that you're just creating an order and moving items through a network, but there's so many moving parts there that the system has to understand relationships. And I think luckily we've got a bunch of very smart technology people that can think about this purely from a framework and not from an operational perspective because I think one of the challenges that maybe we had was getting the logistics people to to, to think about logistics as actually a a data structure as opposed to an operational structure. That's a very interesting point. So if you just uh, take order the way it is called across ocean freight and air freight and line haul and other companies, they call it with different, 100 different jargons. Ultimately, it's the same data structure. If you think about it from a very fundamental data structure kind of a problem, it boils down to the same thing. And so we had very interesting challenges getting these logistics guys speaking to the tech guys and uh, we are, I think, getting to a very good place. I think that's a big learning of mine. I mean, I've never, I'm not a pure tech person, I'm not a pure logistics person, but trying to educate sales and operational people the, the potential of technology if you think about it in a data model and having technology people obviously understand the language of the industry which is also very difficult and I think it's been uh, especially since we released this new platform really good to see that that's all come together and it's now showing in the product and um, in terms of the platform itself is there any do you have a favorite part of the platform or a bit you're most proud of? Uh, the two main things I'm very proud of, of the platform would be it gives an end-to-end track and trace and traceability of every SKU from a data standpoint. The second thing would be the inbuilt uh, capability for optimization. So we can actually optimize things at multiple levels, at a consolidation, deconsolidation uh, level, uh, utilizing the empty space in a truck versus how do you get the most optimal route for a truck which goes on the road. So basically two points, track and trace and optimization. And they're two very different problems. And you'll see a lot of platforms that will only solve one of those problems. And there's companies like JDA and PTV that have got thousands of people solving an optimization problem. And you'll see brokers like Uber Freight that are trying to solve the empty space problem. But the optimization guys they know how to move things in the optimal way and they actually understand what's empty in the truck. The Uber for freight doesn't know what's empty in the truck but is trying to optimise capacity. That's right. And so there's a big information asymmetry between optimization and brokerage in, a tradition, in the traditional model that people have been trying to work together. And I guess one of the big unknowns of our platform is actually that by being able to optimise and plan... We've got so much information on capacity that brokerage becomes possible. The business knows more and more about how much empty space it has to resell to the market and where that occurs. Absolutely. Uh, That's actually a very fair point because most systems out there either just focus on the transport management part or they focus on the optimization part. So what we are trying to target in EOG is to build an end-to-end framework which is fully integrated so there is no data disparity. We can actually see it all. And we focus on different aspects of the ecosystem for different customers as well. So it's a, it's a network, uh, it's an operational network as opposed to a communicating, communicating network. And that's probably where 
as a business, and I know myself, have been trying more and more to communicate that because helping people understand the wider benefits of the technology and, and not thinking about it in a small box of against my existing transport management system um, that puts a box on a truck but actually will plan and put that box on your truck, will give you the data about your network and its capacity efficiencies and then enable you to find more work through the network. And that is something that's evolving in our business and we can see from Omnichannel and we can see from some of these customers that we're bringing on that that's starting to happen. So that's an area that you know I profess myself where we're still really working hard to communicate with people in a simple way and I think things like this podcast make it easier to talk about some of these things that we're doing and the big concepts that are, that are quite interesting. So thanks for dropping by. I think that's a good start for talking about the platform. I don't think we've gone too technical. Um, I hope that people get in contact with us with any questions they do have about what we're up to. Do you have anything to add before we call it a day? Uh, so I try to stay really, really not not getting into details into technical stuff because it's very easy for me to get there. Uh, but it it has been a fair, fair fairly interesting, uh, fairly interesting talking about the concepts and what we have done for Yoji. Okay, Vivek, thanks for dropping in and thanks everyone for listening to Inside Yoji.